Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Paul Kosh from Grace Lutheran Church in Ventura. As you said, I'm the guy that walks down here. Uh, old habits nowadays, but um, it's good to be with you. Thanks for the soup and the chowder today. Lots of good stuff. Um, our theme this year, as you know by now, is honest repentance and and, I, and I'm beginning to realize there's a lot of overlapping themes in these Wednesday nights, which is perfect, because most of us don't pay that close attention anyway, right? We like carrying from one week to the next. Uh, it's great. It's really kind of how Lent should be as we kind of work through this. Uh, I grew up in uh, Ventura, California, um, and growing up there, one of the great gifts of that for me and my friends anyway was we surfed a lot. When I say a lot, I mean a lot. Um, I went to Ventura Community College, so coming out of high school, I surfed so much, got into community college, I went there for two years, and I left with barely a year's worth of credit by the time I went down to Concordia and Irvine, because, well, the waves are good, and, you know, you were paying all of, like, $11 a unit, living with mom and dad, so... You know, you went surfing instead. But one of the things that surfing taught me early on was uh, a real respect, and at times really a fear for the power of moving water, right? It is a, it is, is a destructive force. Um, a big wave isn't only problematic to a surfer trying to paddle out, uh, but as we've Realize with our poor peer in Ventura, every time they seem to get a belt right, another big swell comes through and just rips the thing apart. Or right, we made national news with the uh, the end of Seaward, where the wave came. Well, yeah, you've seen the heads. You guys saw that. Everyone saw that, right? I had people back in Florida I knew like texting me about it. Are you guys okay? My cat. Yeah, it's just waves. It's fine. But it just wiped out everybody, right? I remember. I think it was 2011. You remember that huge earthquake that caused the tsunami in Japan, the one that uh, you know impacted the nuclear uh, facility and all that? I was uh, gripped by the videos of that, all those videos. Uh, that Because I don't think I'd ever really seen what a tsunami looks like. In my brain, a tsunami was a big, giant wave, right? Just kind of towers over everything, kind of like they do in the movies. That's not the way it was at all, right? And what we kind of learned was, you no, know, the way it goes is the water just pulls out really far for a long ways, and then it comes back. And man, when it comes back, it just kind of pushes through everything. And that moving water actually obliterates Everything. I mean, it was stunning to see how destructive it was. Water in like mobilized that way. If you think like that, um, there's not, there's no other quite destructive force like that kind of that occurs naturally in our world. It was, it was powerful to watch. Now, from the earliest pages of Genesis, uh, the very beginning, we find God employing His Word if you will, in a, in a battle with water. I know we don't usually think of it quite like that, but that's sort of, he's establishing his word in, in placing limits upon water is how it begins. Remember, the earth is formless and void, and, and the Spirit of God hovers over the deep, over the water. The water is the chaos of the earliest ages, right? There's the chaos, and God speaks. In the speaking of his word, 
He establishes boundaries. He separates water. The above waters from the below waters, remember? And then the below waters, he separates out dry land and establishes here are the boundaries. Um, if you remember the, uh, the story of Job, when God speaks out of the world of wind, he goes, were you there when I told the, the waters you could go this far and no further? Right? He establishes these boundaries. And then there on dry land, he, he creates his garden. And in the garden, the water there isn't chaos and terror, but it's life. It provides the, the water necessary for the fruit to, to produce in its season according to its kind, all those things. And so we marvel at that gift of water. But then comes the fall. And in the fall, the wickedness of mankind grows and grows to the point of the Old Testament lesson you read a few moments ago of the story of Noah. And then what we could see there is what God does is he pulls back his boundaries on the water, right? He allows it to come crashing back in. You know, when I was a kid and I heard that story, I always thought, well, it rains for 40 days and it just kind of floods everything. And and you do get that sense in there. But if you read the full text of the story of the flood and Noah and the ark, the water doesn't just come from above. If you remember, right, it, he opens the deep, the waters that are below, right, and, it's, and it comes back in. So it's essentially the, the waters come crashing back together. And so everything collides back in, and not only is it chaos again, but now the water is used as, as a tool of the wrath of God, right? And it destroys everything. Everything, of course, except for Noah and his family and the animals, on the ark. Now, water and its chaos end up being a major theme in a lot of scripture, right? There's, of course, there's Jonah and the whale. There's all these stories of it. The probably the most famous outside of Noah is the Red Sea story, right? The, the, the Israelites are finally set free, right? Pharaoh lets them go after the death of the firstborn, and they flee, and then he changes his mind, right? And he's going to come after them uh, to go get them, and they find themselves up against the sea, up against something that is they cannot control, they cannot get through, and they're trapped between the sea and Pharaoh's army coming behind them. And what does God do? He separates it, right? He 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 makes a dry space for them, and they cross through on the dry ground. Now, it works great for them, not so great for the pursuing army, right? The waters come back in, the boundaries are pulled back, and the chaos consumes them. Or think of the story of our Lord where he's with his disciples, and they're crossing uh, uh, from one side of the Sea Galley to the other, and the storm comes up. Remember, Jesus is asleep in the boat. It's one of my favorite stories uh, where he's asleep, and the wind's coming, the waves are beating, and they are terrified. They think that they're going to drown, and they actually wake him up saying, don't you care? Right? Don't you care that we're, we're struggling, that we're going to drown? And he pops up, and he says, peace, be still. And the at his word, the wind and the waves, the chaos comes to a halt. It stops. In the book of Revelation, there's a prominent scene of the throne of God, and before it is the sea, and the sea, it says, is like glass. It's calm. It's still. There's no 
terror in it. And in fact, at the very end of Revelation, the culmination of that book uh, is the new heaven and the new earth. And Jerusalem comes down out of the sky, right? And the doors open and it's described in all this splendor and beauty. But one of the things it says is there in the new heaven, the new earth, the sea is no more, right? So the chaos, the uncertainty is actually fully removed. So you get from this, this chaos and this terror to the, to the dividing power of God's word to make dry land, to make a space for his people. His word through Christ, the word made flesh, speaking to the storm itself, bringing that calm to the picture of the end of all things where the sea itself is absolutely removed. There's no uncertainty, no chaos at all. And we hear all this as the people of God and we think, well, we would like that, right? We, we want that to be our lives. And it's, in fact, I think a lot of times Christians get in this mode where they think that their life ought to be that now, or at least closer to that than it was before. You know, growing up, I can remember going to churches and you would hear like testimonies and it always sounded like life would go from chaos and turmoil into some sort of tranquility and beauty, right? Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that that's just not true, right? A whole lot of Christians have wonderful lives, and then those lives get caught up in chaos, right, and turmoil, and, and, they, and they often kind of wonder if they're even going to make it, right? And so we can go to church. You can go to church, and sometimes you think, you look around, and you think, well, they've got it all together, or they're doing pretty good over there, and you know because you know yourself your life's a mess, right? Or things aren't lining up or you have these regrets that you're dealing with and this heartache and this uncertainty. And you, you tend to think, well, Christians seem to have it. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, I'll get, I'll get a little bit better and I'll have that calm in the midst of the storm. And it just seems to be all storm sometimes. Now, remember, of course, that we are baptized. And because I know you love your catechism and you read it regularly, Right? Yes, thanks, yeah. <laughs> that you know full well that in, in the catechism we are taught that, that baptism is a combination of water and the word, right? And, of course, we, we see that in practice. And I, and I think maybe this is a good image for us to say it, it is both these things. Okay, of course, it's the physical water. It's the word of God spoken in you. But maybe what that does is it places us in this in-between reality in our life here, that you're not fully consumed in the chaos of the water, but you're not fully seated on the dry ground either. You are a combination of both. You live in this age as this age is dying, and yet you have a foot firmly set in the age to come in the promises of Christ. And so you live in this tension, right? And so sometimes we think, well, we should be free of the chaos. Well, no, it goes with us. It, it is within you, as you know, Luther talks about, the sin, death, and uh, our, our um, not death, uh, uh, the world, the devil, and our own sinful selves, right? The unholy trinity are always working at us. Well, it's hard to get away from our own sinful selves, right? We bring the chaos or some of it wherever we go, and we feel that turmoil in our lives, and so we have regrets and we have sorrows. We have people we've hurt, 
people we know we could have helped and we didn't help, right? And so we, we live with that, we struggle with that, and we begin to wonder if, at times, if we will find that dry ground that we so desperately want. And, and so it's interesting how the ark story is carried through in Scripture. So you get that in Genesis, and it, and it kind of disappears. It's spoken up a little bit in the Psalms. And then all of a sudden, in the New Testament, it gets brought back into focus a few times. And one of the great ones is Peter. So Peter, he, he speaks about Noah and the ark and the saving the eight souls. That's why a lot of baptismal fonts, like your new font, is eight-sided there on top. That's where that kind of comes from. Because he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, that this is the flood, right? Baptism, he says, which corresponds to this, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A carrying through the chaos to, to that promise of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you think about Noah and his family and the animals on the ark, they are spared because they received the word of God. They had the word of God, the word, the one thing that can make dry land in the midst of the chaos, right? The one thing that can, can part the waters, the one thing that can calm the sea. The word is what they had. And because of the word, through the chaos, they are saved. They're, they're not just saved from dying, but they're saved from a world that is in, incredibly wicked, right? They're delivered from it. Now, this is just like a, a foretaste of the greater thing to come because we know the story goes on and it doesn't stay great for very long, right? Men are still sinners and things still come undone, but, but that story plays on now into our lives. You are the baptized. And so that word which did all those great things, it has a hold of you. And it, and it still brings these promises in the midst of the chaos. And that the word carries you like it carried Noah and his family and the animals and the ark. And it carries you through the chaos of this water onto salvation itself. And so maybe your chaos is some sort of purification. Maybe it is a call to repentance. Maybe it's that, that word that we need to make the sacrifices that are called for. Maybe it's just to empty us out of ourselves so that we don't offer anything glorious to our God, but rather we receive from him every good and gracious thing. So the chaos comes upon us, but you're not just baptized in water, you're baptized with the word. And that word continues to make that dry space, that sure, solid ground for you. And I don't know where that comes for you, you know, I'm assuming a lot of times it comes right here in this beautiful building, right? Where his word gets a hold of you. And in the midst of all the chaos, you find again that you have a sure footing. For you have a Christ who has claimed you as his own, who washed you and named you, who feeds you, and has promised you life eternal. And that's how we move forward. The psalmist I think it's Psalm 41, he says this, he says, Though the sea rages and foams and the mountains quake at its surging, 
I will not fear. Though the earth fade away and the mountains fall into the sea, I will not fear because there is sure footing for you. We are called in this time to repent. And so maybe what we repent of is our delusion that our lives are free of chaos. Maybe we repent that we thought we could control the chaos, that we can navigate it on our own. We repent then of pride and arrogance, and we come empty-handed before our God. And there with nothing to offer, feeling like we're going to be swept away in the chaos, he gives you dry land. He gives you a promise. He says that you are forgiven, that you are loved and you are welcomed, that the gates of paradise stand open to you. One day you will stand with him in the sea and all its chaos will be no more. Amen.